Blog Talk Radio. of Wide Men Can't Score. I'm Tim. Welcome to the Wide Men Network and, of course, our highly successful NHL spinoff show, Wide Men Can't Score. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who downloaded or listened streaming to the episode. It did much better than, at least than what I expected, and I'd like to thank everybody for uh, doing what they did to support this little endeavor. So let's get right to it. Um, right off the get-go, we're going to go to some NHL news, some stuff that, uh, you know, every now and then things happen in the NHL and nobody's quite sure why they happen. Uh, Carolina fires their general manager. They are, I believe, seven points out of a playoff spot. Or maybe it's six, six or seven points anyway. Why in God's name do you fire your general manager in the most crucial part of the NHL season? Apparently, the owner feels that he knows more about hockey than Ron Francis, a several-time NHL All-Star, Stanley Cup winner, gold medalist, I believe, world championship. I think he's done it, seen it and done it all. And yet somehow... Uh, some businessman type comes along and decides that uh, he's going to show him how it's done. And uh, According to his quotes, um, they just don't see eye to eye on several things. All right, that's fair enough. And I guess if you own a a franchise, I guess you have the right to uh, decide who's going to uh, run that franchise. But in the same article, he later goes on to say that uh, he likes confrontation. And he'd like to argue more than than just have yes-men who tell him what to do or agree with what he tells them to do, and nobody ever says, hey, wait a minute, maybe that's not the best course of action. So I guess kudos to Ron Francis for, I guess he fails upwards because he's been – uh, not fired, he, he was removed and given another position in hockey operations. But, of course, the uh, new owner, I believe his name was Peter Dumoulin, um, he says that the new general manager will answer directly to him. So then one wonders, why do you need a manager of hockey operations if the general manager is going to answer directly to the owner? Um I don't know, <laughs> and I don't think anybody else does either. It was a real head-scratcher. Um, I would be surprised if any of the big names are all that interested in taking the uh, general manager job in Carolina because that sounds like an owner that uh, you don't want any part of. 
Um, on the injury scene, Dallas Stars lose Martin Hansel for the rest of the season. Uh, season-ending back surgery. Uh, this guy has been nothing but plagued this season. Signs a uh, three-year, $14 million contract. Uh, misses all of training camp and the preseason. Then misses 30 more games this season, so about half of what they've played roughly. And now is out for the rest of the season. Uh, you got to feel for the guy in one way, because I'm sure um, having back surgery isn't any fun. And yet, uh, in another way, that's a hell of a way to collect four and three quarter million dollars a year by doing absolutely well. Twenty. Imagine getting four and three quarter million dollars for working twenty nine days. Uh, unbelievable. But you know, this is the way that things go in the NHL, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Uh, the other big injury, well, big injury, that's one way of putting it, um, controversial injury, I guess you could say, is Mr. Brad Marchand is now day-to-day with an upper body injury. Uh, the infamous upper body injury, which there again, nobody seems to know exactly what does that mean. Um, we don't get the, uh, uh, there's big secrecy in the NHL, you know, uh, why can't they just say his shoulders hurt? I'm going to assume that everybody in the NHL knows. They're not really fooling anybody except us Marks out here in uh, Fanland. But anyway, uh, Mr. Marchant, who is known for his somewhat aggressive slash dirty play, uh, on Saturday, in an attempt, in his words, to avoid contact with another player, leapt at him and basically clotheslined him in the next week. There was talk initially that uh, he would definitely be suspended, and in my opinion, he probably should have, as the guy he hit is out for two weeks. And yet, somehow, yet again, uh, I'm not a big Bruins fan, but it does seem like that they they tiptoe on the line of uh, player discipline and seem to, I mean, Brad Marchant should, if anybody, it could not be held, you know, that his word wouldn't be good for whether he was trying to hurt somebody or not. It would have to be him. So why does he skate when other players in the NHL, there's, if they did this, well, there's no way. Uh, I can think of several enforcer types. Uh, Chris Neal, who might granted he doesn't play anymore, but the Chris Neal types, um, uh, uh, what's his name? He used to play for the Penguins and the Canucks. Uh, his name escapes me, but he was another guy who, if he even looked at somebody sideways, he would. He was the guy who uh, sliced open uh, uh, Eric Carlson's ankle, and they swore to God it was a was on purpose. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck's another one who'd probably get in trouble. Ryan Reeves is another one who'd probably get in trouble if if he did this. Or uh, Milan Lucic from Edmonton, if he did it, it would be considered an out-and-out goon move. But because uh, Mr. Marchant actually does have some uh, offensive skills and can play the game, he uh, he gets away with these things. And that's sad to see because the game is much. I mean, nobody minds some hits. Nobody minds a, a good fight when it's between two willing participants. But I don't want to see anybody getting hurt. That's not uh, 
that's not in anybody's best uh, interests. Uh, so, moving on from there, let's take a look at the uh, current NHL standings after the weekend. As there was a little bit of movement, but not a lot, and we're starting to see uh, who's really going to settle into that last two wild card spots. So, uh, in the East, things pretty much stay the same. Uh, Tampa Bay hit 100 points, first team to do that this year. Uh, five game winning streak. Can't argue with that. The uh, Boston Bruins. Continue to win for their last five. Uh, Pittsburgh for their last five, right up there. Uh, the usual suspects, uh, the Capitals, the Flyers. Flyers are still hanging in there. Four points up on that last wild card. Uh, Toronto hanging in there too. They're all going to make it this year finally, so that's good for elucidation. I'm in the wild card. We got New Jersey at 78 points and uh, Columbus at 77 points. Chasing them are the uh, Florida Panthers, who are two points behind, but have three games in hand. So if uh, anybody's going to catch one of those two teams, it's going to be them. All they've got to do is win one of those three games they have in hand, and they're even up. So they should. Mathematically, Florida should get in. Uh, this is in the East, of course. Um, Carolina is six points back. But after the general manager move, uh, I don't know. I don't want <laughs> – let's make this more simple. I don't want Carolina to make it because that's a boneheaded move in my opinion. Uh, the Islanders are seven points back. Uh, but I don't think they're going to make it, barring a miracle. They've only won one of their last five, and the Rangers are ten points back, and they're, that's too much with only uh, 13 games left. I'd say they're out. So that takes care of the East. Um, the West is a little more crowded. Um the top six is, of course, uh, the Predators, Jets, uh, Minnesota Wild, surprisingly. Um, the more surprising, Vegas Knights, 93 points. They've killed, cooled off a little bit the last while. Um, the Sharks and the Ducks, as usual, the usual suspects. In the wild card, we have the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche. But they are only up on the Los Angeles Kings and the Calgary Flames by one point and two points, respectively. And the St. Louis Blues are three points back. Um, what jumps out immediately about that situation is that Calgary has played two more games. So they would be the back runner, in my opinion. Um Los Angeles and St. Louis both have 14 games left. Uh, can't rule either of those out yet at this point. Um, I had a look at their schedules. They're pretty balanced. Um, you know, they've both got a few games that they should easily win, and they've both got a few games that they're probably going to easily lose. However, this is the NHL, and it's late in the season, and you just don't know. Um 
normally, let's say, a game against Edmonton or Arizona, for instance, uh, most people would probably chalk that up as uh, you know two points in the bag. Uh, but the Oilers have been playing uh, three three wins in a row, been playing a little better lately. Arizona's won three of their last five and an overtime loss, so seven out of their last ten points. Uh, you know, you just don't know the parity in the NHL is crazy. Even though, uh, like Arizona, the worst team in the league, by well, not by that much, I guess. But Buffalo's right up there in Ottawa, but uh, capable of beating. Tampa Bay on any given night. If you don't show up in the NHL and bring the all all guns blazing, you are not going to win. It's that simple. Um, so let's have a – those are the standings and the uh, quick, look, quick look at the playoffs. Um, let's have a look at the Canadian teams and uh, slightly more – not an in-depth look, but uh, scratch the surface a little bit more of what's going on uh, with the Canadian teams. So, if we want to start out the West with the Vancouver, um, not been a good year for the Canucks, although that was not predicted to be one either. Um, as a team, they haven't done well, but they've had some extremely uh, good bright spots player-wise. Uh, particularly Brock Besser, who has come out of nowhere. And probably if he hadn't have been injured here in the last couple of weeks of the season, would have took a hard run at the uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, he might have finished second, but uh, his competition plays for the Islanders, and they don't get a lot of press either. So uh, he got a good shot at winning it. 30-goal season. Can't scoff at that from a, any rookie. Can't scoff at that from any player, period. Uh, the Sabines still chugging along, um, not anywhere near as good as they used to be, but still, uh, you know, still effective for older players, you know, uh, mid-40s in the points again, which, you know, okay, isn't what we would really like to see from them if you're a Canucks fan, but, uh, it's not bad either, uh, Bo Horvat had a better year this year. 37 points in 51 games so far. There's nothing to scoff at. Uh, Sven Barchi's emerged as a bit of a player. Uh, Jake Furtanen is slowly coming out of his shell. Uh, what Vancouver really needs, in my opinion anyway, is uh, they need to shut down defensemen. And I really don't like their goaltending. I mean, their goaltending still... It's definitely their weak spot. They are 27th in the league in goals against, and that's well. You just you're just not going to win consistently with that kind of goaltending. You need like top 10 statistical goaltending if you want to have any chance of uh, going anywhere in the playoffs, as we will see when we have a look at uh, a few of the other teams. So the Canucks, uh, you know, they are what they are. Uh, penalty killing's horrible. Uh, power play's good because they got good young players. Uh, this season was a wash, as I said, but uh, they got uh, uh, nowhere but up, and they look like they, at least offensively, have got the players to do it. So uh, if you're a Vancouver Canuck fan, 
you got something to look forward to next year. So sliding over into the great province of Alberta, where we have the Edmonton Oilers, the conundrum of NHL teams, where nobody can figure out how a team who supposedly has talent can be so bad. Uh, 29th for goals against, 30th for power play, 31st for penalty killing, 31st being the worst you can be. Uh, even a team that has Connor McDavid and the great Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Newton Hopkins and Milan Lucic and Ryan Strom and all these guys that they talk about all the time are still in the bottom 20 of goals scored. So not only are they letting them in, they're not getting them back either, even with their firepower or supposed firepower. Um, Of course, even a disliker such as myself, I cannot throw Connor McDavid under the bus offensively. I mean, 84 points is 84 points. Uh, If the year ended tomorrow, 84 points would be a highly successful year. You cannot. Only an idiot could argue that Connor McDavid is not an offensive stalwart. Uh, My problems with him become defensively and indirectly through no fault of his. Let's not get that wrong either. He doesn't bring this on himself. He is forever the golden boy. Um, As I said in my first episode, I get to all the Oiler games. Because uh, I'm in the local market, and even when he does bad, he does good. They will not throw him under the bus, and I understand to some degree why they don't. But as a player for the Edmonton Oilers, you have got to get tired of hearing how your lack of effort and lack of play has led to their poor season, and yet. Mr. McDavid, who, as I said, when he does well, fine, he should get a pat on the back. But when he doesn't do well, when he puts up zero points, and if that's his job, is to score and not play defense, then he needs to be doing that every night. And when he doesn't, he should get the finger point for it. But he doesn't. And of course, like I said, I sort of know why that is, but getting back to the original thought, um, as a player, that's got to get hard to hear after a while, especially if you're a veteran player like, you know, Lucic or, well, Chris Russell, uh, Mike Camilleri, any any of the guys that have been in the league for seven or eight years. Uh, it's got to be hard to, to hear that, you know, you're not working hard enough and you don't do enough, and then, you know, they point the finger at the 21-year-old wonder boy and – he gets a pat on the head. Like I said, and I'm sure he's not asking for it. I don't think, anyway, he seems to be a fairly level-headed kid for a guy who's in the possession he's in. But it's got to wear on you after a while. And I, I hate to say it, but I wouldn't want to play for that team. I just, I wouldn't in its current structure. Um, that being said, uh, a dry side is starting to come on, but of course it's in games now that don't matter anymore. Uh, the Nuge, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the Nuge, as they call him up here. Um, he's looked decent in his return, but, you know, there again, uh, 35 points. 
only played 50 games, but, you know, 35 points for a $6 million man, uh, you know, maybe you expect more. And if you expect more from him, you definitely expect more from Mr. Milan Lucic, whose 10 goals for $6 million is not going to do it. And if I was Milan Lucic, I'd be shaking in my boots because I'm suspecting that the Edmonton Oilers will be looking uh, to unload him or buy him out. Um, the reason being is that Ryan Strom has picked his game up. It's only a point behind Mr. Lucic and certainly does not get to play the minutes or the uh, with the players that Lucic usually gets to. Um, and then with them moving Maroon and um, Latestu, uh, I would I will put money that Ryan Strom will pass Lucic on the point schedule, and that's uh, going to leave some more decisions for uh, the Edmonton Oilers brass. Um, which leads to the next question of who's going to be the Edmonton Oilers brass next year. They have got so many players in such a mess. Uh, they're going to have to hire themselves a cap genius to get out of the trouble they're in and uh, and then hope like hell that they make the right uh, decisions under the cap or they're, they could pay. Uh, it's got to hurt when um, you had three years of the greatest player or worst case, the second greatest player, and you got nothing uh, to show for it. You got one one playoff appearance to show for it, and now you got to pay him, and it's going to hurt. Ah, moving down the province to the Calgary Flames, another team that uh, they tease you. They win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game, go on a streak, then play like crap. Uh, they get a play last night, the New York Islanders on a road trip, in the middle of it, tired, not playing that well. Calgary goes out and lays a goose egg uh, down, I believe it was 3 to nothing or 4 to nothing early. Uh, you can't, they don't have the team to come back from that. Put up a 5-2 loss when you really, really, really need a win. Um, pretty much sums this team up for me. Um their goaltending. Mike Smith is a good goalie, but not a great one. Not unlike Mr. Cam Talbot in Edmonton. After that, they got nothing in the goaltending department. So when he was hurt, they managed to win a couple games, but they could have done so much better. Um, statistically, they're about average. Uh, Goals for and against, you know, 15th and 19th, which is not great, but not horrible. Uh, their power play is weak. Their penalty kill's not bad. 13th is pretty good. Uh, they've got some scorers. They just don't seem to get it done when they really need to. And I know that's a cliche that you hear, but still holds true. Um they're sort of a mirror of the Edmonton Oilers, just with slightly less name power. Um, you know, Johnny Gaudreau was a poor man's Connor McDavid. Some might even say damn near as good. Same style, same, you know, 79 points, can't, only five points different. Uh, Sean Monaghan is, is your Leon Dreisaitl, you know, the sidekick who 
Well, 61 points, not too shabby. But after that, you know, they've got three or four guys that you know, Matthew Kachuk, you know, Michael Furlan's having a good year. Uh, Michael Froelich, even if you want to toss in there uh, a couple defensemen in uh, Giordano, TJ Brody, like they've got decent players. They just, again, when they really need to win, they don't do it. So I'm not sure why that is, if it's coaching or if it's management or if it's lack of leadership, I don't know. But I don't think the Calgary Flames are going to make the playoffs. I hope they do because I think it's good for Canadian hockey if they do. Uh, But I don't think they're going to. So sorry, Flames fans. If they do, that's a blessing. But if I had to throw my money, uh, I'd keep it. So moving east to the middle of the country, to Manitoba, to the home of Frank from Flin Flon, the Winnipeg Jets. Oh, those of you who listen to White Man Can't Jump, you know Frank and his utter distaste for the NBA. Um, But, man, does he love himself some some hockey. And his Winnipeg Jets are rolling on all – firing on all 52 cylinders, whatever cheap platitudes you want to throw at them, they apply because the Jets are having themselves a season. Uh, Fourth in goals – Per fifth in goals against, uh, number two power play in the league, and number five in penalty killing. About as good as you can get in those stats. Uh, Short, of course, being number ones, but nobody can pull off the the ones. Usually, you know, you're lucky to be in the top ten in one or two of them. Um, Statistically, in an individual sense, uh, Connor Hellebuck is having himself a Vesna-like year in the net. Uh, he faces uh, he, 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 a good good shot stopper. Doesn't let in the weak one too often. Got six shutouts, 35 wins. Carrying the load for the Jets. Um, offensively, <laughs> they got it everywhere. Blake Wheeler, Patrick Laney, Nikolai Ellers, Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor. Big Dustin Bufflin. Then they got some, you know, mid-sized guys. Matthew Parole, Brian Little, Tyler Myers. All 30-plus points. Uh, four guys over forty, or over 20 goals. One 40-goal scorer. You, know, you don't see that many of those in the NHL these days. Uh, defensively. And then they acquired Paul Statney, too, who's got seven points in six games since the trade, looking like making their general manager look like a genius. Um, Everything going right for them now, and it's about time. The Jets and the Jets fans have uh, suffered for a lot of years there, lost their franchise for a while. Uh, They deserve everything they're getting there. Uh, Kudos to the Winnipeg Jets for a great season so far. Uh, Continuing east, we land in the nation's capital where we bow our heads to the death of the Ottawa Senators whose owner, Eugene Melnick, another owner who thinks he knows more about hockey than the people he hires and then on top of it all is a cheapskate. 
or maybe not a cheapskate, but isn't rich enough or willing to actually spend the money you need to spend um, to really contend for a championship in a in a major league sports league, and uh, and it shows. Um, he has one of the top five defensemen, maybe top ten defensemen of all time, and doesn't want to pay him. Is in the process of watching the guy walk out the door. Um, good franchises don't let this happen. That being said, um, the play on the ice, perhaps he's not wrong because even with the guy, uh, <laughs> their stats are appalling. They're Edmonton Oilers bad. Um, goals for 24th, goals against 30th. Power play, 27th. Penalty kill, 27th. That is sad, ladies and gentlemen. Very sad. But when you start to look at their roster, you can sort of maybe see why. Uh, Craig Anderson, while uh, after last year and his wife's cancer uh, battle, et cetera, et cetera, proved that he's one hell of a great guy. He is not having a good year in the net. Um, 3.24 goals against and a 900 save percentage from your starting goalie. Won't do. Um, Offensively, they've really only got three players. Uh, Mark Stone, the aforementioned Eric Carlson, and Mike Hoffman. Um, and after that, uh, they had Derek Broussard, but they traded him away. Uh, I would have to say that Matt Deshane has been a disappointment. He's been average, but for what they gave up for him, uh, disappointment. Bobby Ryan, they've been trying to trade his ridiculous, I don't even know what kind of, I think he has a $6 million plus might even be more than that contract for 27 points. That's like we're we're not even in Milan Lucic range there. We're worse than that. Um, they have no defense. What little they had in Dion Phaneuf, they traded away. Um, for me, they're in full rebuild, uh, full rebuild mode. Yeah, I got it out. Um, but I don't know how you can do that when you don't want to spend any money. I guess you trade away what assets you do have and hope that you can get picks and players to replace the guys that you're giving up. But so far they haven't really done a very good job at that. And that's why they sit where they sit, which is, uh, I believe, third from the bottom in the league. Um, Yeah, not a lot more to say about the Ottawa Senators. But that's a bad situation there in Ottawa. Bad situation. So, moving a little further to the Toronto Maple Leafs. A franchise who, for the last 10, 15 years, has kind of just floated along. Actually, they've kind of been just floating along for a long time with the odd spike, but usually they're pretty bad. Last year, they showed a few signs of improvement. They, you know, they got Austin Matthews, which certainly didn't hurt. Um, but this year, they are actually, I won't say they're a cup contender. I think that might be pushing it a little bit for this year. Um, 
they're at least a second-round playoff team, maybe into the final, conference finals with a bit of luck, but I don't think they'll get any further than that unless somebody really steps it up or you know, an injury or another team gets knocked out when they're not supposed to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what the Leafs do do well is score goals. They're sixth in the league in goals. Uh, only 12th against, which is a huge improvement for the Leafs. They used to be, you know, bottom five, even when they had good teams. And they have a number seven power play and a number eight penalty kill, which you can't ask for much more than that. Uh, Statistically, uh, they finally found a goalie. You know, Frederick Anderson is getting it done. He sees a hell of a lot of shots, probably too many. But he seems to thrive on that kind of action, so, so be it. Offensively, uh, because of the Matthews injury, mostly, nobody really jumps out. But they've got seven 40-point guys, three more with 30, two more with 20-plus. So you can see why they sort of pose a problem for opposing teams. Um, You've got Marner, Nylander, Matthews, Kadri, Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Patrick Marlowe, Zach Hyman for forwards, all over 30 points. Uh, Then you've got Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner, plus 40-point defensemen. And then toss in the odd, uh, uh, you know, uh, you get the mucker goals from like Zach Hyman has 13 goals, Connor Brown has 13 goals. These are fourth liners, or guys who don't see a lot of ice time, and yet they're getting it done. Um, the Maple Leafs have really done a good job of getting the most out of guys in whatever position they've been putting them in. And that's rare in the NHL these days because a lot of guys don't want to play the game that way. They want to get their stats, see their name in the paper so that they can get that big big fat contract when contract time rolls around. But uh, so far, like I said, the Leafs are looking good. As a Leaf fan, it's nice to be able to say you cheer for them and hold your head up without fear of getting pelted with tomatoes and rotten eggs. And uh, good on us because if any team in the league is due for some Winning it's Toronto. Well, that takes us to our last Canadian team, the Montreal Canadiens, who, once again, this season, are a mystery and a bafflement to me. Um, Yeah, they've had some injuries, but every team does. So that's not really an excuse. Um... They can't score. I mean, good Lord, when did a Montreal Canadian team, when did it become common for them not to be able to score goals? They're 29th in the league in scoring. Uh, Sadly, 23rd against. Power play is mediocre, 17th, and they can't stop anybody penalty kill on their 28th. For me, the problems with the Montreal Canadiens start right at the very top. Um... And I'm talking ownership. Jeff Molson and Molson Breweries, et cetera, et cetera. Good owners. But they're kind of handcuffed a bit by the whole French 
Canadian scene there. And I don't say that in a racist sense at all. I just say it because it's true. Um, Montreal likes to have a general manager who could speak French, a coach who could speak French. And I'm quite sure if they could have their way, they would just as soon have French players, the majority of their team. And sadly, for whatever reasons, these commodities are not quite as available as they once were. Um, Their general manager, Bergeron, is, well, not very good. Um, When you look at some of the trades Montreal's made, uh, it's total bafflement, and then some of the ones that they didn't, holding on to Max Pacioretty particularly this year. It makes no sense to me or anybody else except for them, you know, because as he keeps saying, the answers are within. Well, it's been two years. I think you've pretty much searched that entire dressing room for answers, and you still haven't found any, so perhaps the answers are not within and are somewhere else. Uh, Carey Price has had a horrible injury-riddled season, and I'm starting to wonder if they need to put their eggs in another basket in the Carey Price front because he's not getting it done for them and hasn't for a few years. And actually, to be honest, short of his Olympic appearances, has never really gotten it done. So how long do you want to hold on to him and his gigantic contract before you can trade him and get something for him? Something to look at. Uh, up front, oh, when your best offensive player is Brendan Gallagher, who, don't get me wrong, love him, scrappy, feisty player, but he cannot be your goal-scoring leader. He just can't. That is just says boatloads about the rest of this team. Um, Alex Gilchenyuk, I don't know if he's ever going to, you know, 40 points is not bad. But is he ever going to become the 30-goal scorer that they think he's going to become? I don't know. I guess maybe they got to give him a chance. But so far, he's underperformed. Uh, Max Pacioretty, I don't know. I've never been a big fan of his anyway. But um, he just seems lost out there. I think he'd like to be playing anywhere but there. And who can blame him? Um not getting a lot of love. Uh, it's got to be hard playing on a team that's bottom five. And they're used to being a play, at least a playoff team. Uh, a couple other, you know, the Jonathan Duran trade for, I don't even remember who they traded for, but they traded away a whole bunch of prospects. And those prospects are in Tampa Bay playing, and Jonathan Duran has 10 goals in Montreal. So, you know, would we like P.K. Subban back? Yes, we would. You can take uh, Shea Weber, who is a good player, but he's no P.K. Subban. Uh, Thomas Pukanek, they traded away for a draft pick. <laughs> That's how do you how do you utilize your aging veterans? Well, as I said, Shea Weber's hurt. You got, they got a whole 26 games out of him this year. Um, and when you look at the rest of their lineup, they have a whole pile of nobodies. Guys you don't know, AHLers, um guys who they bring up for a few games and demote back to the farm team 
nobody seems to really get a chance to play, and I don't know why, because they're not any good. Montreal, have a good look down the road. At, look across the country to the Canucks. That's how you utilize young players. And you can have a look at Colorado, who I'm going to talk about next, or particularly one of their players. That is how you get the most out of your young guys. So Montreal, uh, total wash of a year, um, one that I'm quite sure they'll be happy to um, forget. So that takes us to my little segment of uh, underrated players. Uh, Today, our underrated player is Miko Rantanen from the Colorado Avalanche. And you say Miko who? And you would not be alone in that, Miko who, because most people don't know who he is or have never heard of him. And uh, a little bit of that is because he plays in Colorado. But um, he's a first-round pick, 10th overall in the 2015 draft by the Avalanche. And they have done with him what I think most teams should do with their first-round picks who – they're not entirely sure whether they're going to make it in the NHL or not. They sign him. They let him play nine games in the NHL, which is the amount you can play before they have to burn up a year of your entry-level contract, for those who don't know. And they sent him to the AHL, where he learned how to play the NHL game. And when he had played a season and they felt he could not learn any more there, That's when they brought him up. And suddenly, not unmagically, um, Mr. Rantanen put up 20 goals in his first full NHL season. 38 points, which, okay, is not juggernaut numbers, but they're, you know, 20 goal scorers, you don't, they don't fall out of the trees anymore. Um, So he gets a year under his belt. And then uh, when he's comfortable playing in the NHL and, you know, knows the system and the formula and all that, this year, well, by God's, if he doesn't have 70 points, sorry, I I lie, 69 points, 23 goals and 46 assists. He's got 15 games left to play, I think, or 14. So give him another seven or eight points. You know, he's going to have a 75-point season. And you've never heard of him. That's how you develop players. That's how you get to win Stanley Cups. By taking guys who, on paper in the draft, were a potential and nothing more, and turning them into top ten scorers. Everyone in the in, in the league, have a look. Figure it out, because that's how you do it. It's how it gets done. It's not an easy way to do it. It's hard for the fan base to be told that their first-round draft pick is not going to do anything for two years, possibly three. But these kids are young. They're 18 years old. Think about it, people. What did you know when you were 18? Don't kid yourself and don't lie. You didn't know shit. You thought you did. I'm 50. Trust me, what I thought I knew when I was 18, I did not know. Kudos to the Colorado Avalanche for getting it done, doing it right. Now, this brings me to a section 
that gets my blood boiling, and that doesn't happen really that often, but I'm a barker, but I'm not really much of a biter. But there are some rules in the NHL that have got to change, by God. The first one that irks me to no fucking end, and yeah, I said fucking, we're an R-rated show. The two-minute penalty for delay a game for shooting the puck over the glass. Without a doubt, the dumbest penalty in hockey. Why is it the dumbest penalty in hockey, you ask? Well, the rule says it's because it's a deliberate stoppage of the game. All right, folks. What the hell is icing the puck? Silence, I hear from the NHL fans. What could be more deliberate than shooting the puck down the ice for a stoppage in play? Nothing. Nobody shorthanded, nobody in their own end wants to shoot the puck over the glass and get a face-off. You don't. Trust me. If you have possession of the puck, you want to shoot the puck out of your own end. Dumbest rule in hockey, or one of the dumbest rules in hockey. Drives me crazy, and as in Don Cherry, who I don't agree with that often, to be honest. Who I like, but I don't agree with that often. One day that rule is going to cost somebody huge, and then they'll change it. But not until then. But it should be changed, and it should be it should be gone. It shouldn't be changed. It should be gone. Uh, the second rule that I hate, and it's part uh, partly the rule and partly the culture of the NHL. Um, two guys collide in what might be a dirty hit, might be a clean hit, might be an accidental hit. And somebody else on the ice it t- takes it upon themselves to become the enforcer of the of that other person, and charges in and starts swinging. Where is the unsportsmanlike conduct and or the instigator penalty in that uh, scenario? Why is it okay to do that? Is that not true? If you stop to think about it, a delay of the game, a deliberate delay of the game. I've I've never understood it. It never was that way when I played hockey. When I played hockey, if you got hit, you took the number. And you waited until you got your chance to get retribution. You didn't need somebody else on your team to do it for you. Unless you were hurt. That's a different scenario. If somebody, you know, hammers you from behind and you're in gaga land out getting concussion protocol. Fair enough. But when you take a I've seen it 20 times this year where guys take good, solid shoulder checks to the chest, fall down and sit there for two seconds, and four guys on the ice decide that they have to come to this guy's rescue like white knights or something. It's ridiculous. I don't see the point of it. In fact, if it was me, I would be telling my team, I don't need your help. Like, thanks. You know, thanks for looking out. If I get cheap-shotted, that's one thing. But I can fight my own battles, thanks. I don't need you to do it for me. It pussifies the game in my opinion. and it, I don't know. I just I don't like it. Maybe I'm old school, but it is definitely something I don't care for in today's NHL, and I don't know why they don't uh, call a penalty for something when it happens. Uh, then there is the two other calls that we've been seeing all the time that, <coughs> excuse me, 
nobody seems to know what constitutes a violation of these two rules. Of course, I'm talking about goalie interference and the offside challenge. Now, uh, with the offside challenge, uh, the rule is actually fairly clear. It's just stupid. Last night, uh, Evgeny Malkin straddled the blue line. But in skating sideways across the blue line, he picked up his foot. And therefore, by the spirit of the rule, when the puck came across the blue line, he was offside. Even though half of his body was inside the zone, just his skate isn't touching the ice. Change the rule, people. How hard can that be? Remove that part and put if any part of your body is over the blue line. Oh, well, we're worried that guys will throw themselves in uh, in the air in an effort to be onside. <sighs> oh, NHL. Change the rule. Or, better yet, don't make it possible to challenge it. The, you know, there's nothing stupider. There's the the puck goes into the def- into the zone and 72 minutes later, okay, 72 minutes a bit of exaggeration. 30 seconds later, after seven more plays have been made and the puck ends up in the net and you've had 30 seconds to look at it on the bench, you decide to call offside. And then they give you another 30 seconds while you decide while you're going to decide whether you're going to call the challenge or not. The minute the puck goes into the zone and you think it's offside, you should have to just be like a five-second window. And if you don't, you know, push the button or lift the flag or whatever they want to have as a to signal to the officials that you're going to challenge that play, you don't get to. You don't get to wait and say, oh, it ended up in a goal. Now I'm going to challenge it. If there was a if there was a faceoff, if if you uh, if the play was offside and there was a faceoff in your end or in their end, would you be willing to have the puck come back out outside the blue line for the faceoff if it was in fact actually offside? No, you wouldn't. So, stupid rule, stupid, all of it's stupid. We got two referees out there; they get it right. Almost all the time, and when they don't, even we at home with high-definition televisions at 72 replays, it takes them 10 minutes to figure out whether it might be offside or not, and sometimes we're still not sure. Just let the refs do it. Live with the odd call that's bad. It happens once in a while, but it's better than them killing the flow of the game and everything else that happens when one of those things gets called and it takes forever for them to decide whether it's really an infraction or not. Now, that takes me to goalie interference, which is, again, another story. Nobody knows what it is. Are you allowed to touch the goalie? Are you allowed to not touch the goalie? Um, Is it okay if you lightly brush his skin with your lips as you skate by? Are you allowed to touch him with your stick briefly? Can you slash him in the pads? Yeah, are you allowed to body check him? Can you nudge him? Uh, is it okay if he's in the paint, not in the paint? Nobody knows. And the calls are different day to day to day. The Leafs got hosed 
two nights in a row. Then the Leafs hosed the Penguins the other night. Then the Penguins got hosed on the other end. Like, there again, it's going to cost somebody a goal when it really matters. And if they can't get the call right upstairs or in the Situation Room in Toronto, then don't let the Situation Room in Toronto handle it. Let the refs that you pay big money, there's two of them out there and two more linesmen, let them figure it out. That's what they get paid for. And again, it kills the flow of the game, and that would all be at least acceptable. They got it right all the time. But they don't, and until they come up with some kind of a clearer standard, they're probably not going to, and I don't know how they'll ever come up with that clear standard because it's always going to be a question of subjectiveness. How hard did he really hit him? Does it matter how hard he hit him? Did he hit him? Well, look, look, I think I saw part of his uniform ripple there when he skated by. Does that constitute contact? Nobody knows. So do everyone a favor. Let's go back to a, a few less rules and a few less challenges. And because let's be fair, it, it didn't make the game more fun when you thought your team got hosed. And uh, there was nothing you could do about it. You just lived with it and you moved on. Um, which leads to my last uh, segment of the of the uh, podcast today, which is uh, in that vein, the NHL would like to see less complaining from their coaches and players. Well, NHL. If you'd like to hear less complaining from your coaches and players, get it right. Ask your coaches and players and management and ownership what they'd like to see, how they may want to deal with it, and get it right. Fix it. It's not that hard. You would think it was rocket science. It's not. It's easy. They can put together, you know, we can hold an all-star game, or all-star game, we can hold an outdoor hockey game in Los Angeles in the middle of summer. We can't get goalie interference right. We can't figure out if a puck has entirely crossed a red line. I just don't think the willpower is there to get it done. I think it could be done. I think it should be done, in fact. But the NHL, eh, not unlike other sports leagues, I guess, they dwaddle and they they want to maintain some semblance of power over the owners and the league and more specifically, I guess, the players. Um, but that seems ridiculous to me that... Uh, you know, you can't even, uh, as a coach or a player, you can't even say, hey, I just want somebody to explain to me what that rule is and why what I did or didn't do was wrong and what I can or cannot do to avoid further punishment or um, not get a penalty or have that be a goal, whatever it might be. Um, but that, again, I said, like I said, that's the NHL. Uh, Old men trying to be relevant, and uh, not unlike myself, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, so I guess that's it for edition uh, episode number two, Why Men Can't Score. we got about three minutes left, four minutes left. Um, 
Once again, I'd like to thank the uh, Wide Men Network, uh, one of the fastest-growing uh, podcast networks in the world, where we slowly are uh, branching off from our mothership of uh, Wide Men Can't Jump, of course, hosted by the great Tom Robinson and the also great Nate Bush, uh, two Americans who I'm not ashamed to call my friends, uh, both Extremely intelligent basketball, uh, insightful, uh, behind-the-scenes looks at the NBA with some unbelievable guests, um, press writers, uh, play-by-play guys for for NBA teams. Uh, We're trying really hard to try to get some ex-players or uh, even current players, but that's pretty tough. Uh, the current players right now, because of the uh, they're going into their playoff mode, and the teams have got their players locked down in a social media sense, so nobody says anything stupid. But uh, we dig, and we we will find uh, we will find guests that are entertaining, and of course, there's always a little bit of humor on the Wide Men Network, um, especially the Wide Men Can't Jump, because Frank from Flint Flon is there to keep little bit of hilarity in, uh, in things most weeks. Uh, of course, that's this Wednesday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on the uh, blogtalkradio.com. Just uh, type in Wide Men Can't Jump in the search. It'll take you right there, and then you can click follow, and it'll let you know when uh, whenever a Wide Men show comes on the network. Um, last night we had our first of the uh, Sunday Night Roundtable, which... Uh, we dealt with the uh, NCAA uh, selections uh, for the uh, Final Four, and uh, we did a little wrestling talk about the uh, Fastlane pay-per-view. Um, there's no set format for that show, so you never know what you might get on Sunday nights. Uh, there might be dirty talk, it might be sports, it might be pop culture, movies, music, it could be anything. Uh, nobody really knows and nobody really cares. It's just a time for us friends to get together and shoot the shit and uh if you uh if you follow our podcasts and uh subscribe or uh you know listen download stream them in the appropriate places uh, you know come along uh, there's a number you can call to uh call in and give your 10 cents if you've got 10 cents and to be honest we we kind of encourage it because it gives us more to talk about and uh, the whole point of this thing is to uh you know, to entertain and inform uh, the populace and our friends and family, etc., with uh, good sporting facts. So, with that said, uh, I hope everybody has a great day. It's Monday now, 1 o'clock in the, the Great White North. So, I'm off to uh, hitch the reindeer up, go down to the Tim Hortons, got myself a maple donut or two, maybe uh, head over to the liquor store, pick up the Sixer. And then back to uh, the Yigloo to uh, watch some uh, curling. And then later tonight some hockey. And then, uh, but before that, in between the curling and the hockey, there I go. There I slip back into my Canadian. Eh? Um, uh, we've got to have the moose sticks uh, on the barbecue with the uh, with the potatoes and uh, the poutine. And, uh, and, then, and then donuts for dessert, eh? but don't tell the old lady. I'm not supposed to be eating the donuts. But anyway, that's it for me. Uh, Tim from the Great White North, uh, have a good week. Uh, See you guys on Wednesday, and have a good one.